Welcome to the Learning and Development Podcast. I'm David James from Loop, and each week I chat with guests about what lights them up in the world of people development. This week, I'm speaking with Mike Collins, who is Senior People Experience Specialist at River Island. Mike is a forward-thinking and progressive practitioner in L&D, and this conversation explores many of the hot topics that have emerged over recent years. So let's get into it. Mike, welcome to the Learning and Development Podcast. David, pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Now, you're at River Island now, and it's a challenging time for the high street. What are you and your team focusing on to help the business at this time? Uh, well, to be honest, I, th- I think you've got to look at it as in um, two, two areas. Um, so yes, retail is um, under some real strains at the moment, mm. some real challenges, both on the high street, uh, but fashion in particular. Uh, so there's lots of competition in the market, uh, lots, of, lots of change around consumer and customer buying trends and habits. Um, so there's a whole, um, as a business, we've got to focus on, on on serving our customers better and making sure that our products are in the shops at the right time in the right place. Uh, and there's a whole um, project team looking at lots of different ways in which can be, we can be fit for the future. Mm-hmm. Um, in other words, how, how do we not just um, survive but thrive? So there's a lot of stuff going on there, which I can touch upon. But then there's also how are we continuing to recruit uh, top talent? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, not only is it challenging in retail, it's challenging a lot of industries, um, but making sure that you've got the right people with the right expertise and you keep hold of them, that's mass- a massive challenge for many organisations. So I think, you know, I actually joined River Island as a digital learning business partner. Mm. And this was coming off the back of, um, you know, working for DPG as a, as a CIPD training provider and just saw a massive opportunity to um, to support River Island, look at its digital capability and competence mm. and help its people um, apply those digital skills into a, you know, a, a, a digital world, you know, and uh, all these organizations are finding, you know, new business models and different channels that they've now got to, um, to try and to try and reach. Mm. So there's, there's a lot of things happening that are making it challenging, but one of the most exciting things is that as well. Mm. So because of that challenge, we are constantly being um, asked to think innovatively. Um, you know, there aren't big budgets around, so you've mm. got to be able to develop that skill in-house as well. So as a team, as a people team, we've been on a on a big journey ourselves, uh, moving away from perhaps a traditional human resources team and, and really focusing on people experience. Mm. And this is where I think, you know, the, the, the question that you've asked, the, the two merge. So yes, there are challenges for us as a business, getting our product right getting it into the hands of customers and consumers who want to shop in a store mm-hmm. um, although frequently less um, through a website and through an app and then we have our internal customer as well which is attracting the right people keeping the right people and developing the right people uh, but i think because we are working collaboratively we can share good practice about what they're doing uh, what we're doing and we can start to identify our main priority areas, which is really what's driving my role and, and, a, and a lot of projects across River Island. And you, what you've touched on there are there are there are changing consumer expectations, sometimes driven by technology. But I, I do love the phrase that, uh, and I think it's Miles Runham that that brought it to my attention that our our expectations of technology are driven by our last experience. And of course, if you are shopping, you're going to have a range of different experiences. And good consumer experiences in digital is going to be about reducing the friction, not just on ordering what you want, but in the in, in fashion, there is a lot of returning goods as well. So there is a digital experience, there are physical experiences and all of that stuff. And the, the more you can reduce friction, then the, the more accepted that's going to be. 
But that's not just in the consumer experience. That's got to be in the the people experience as well. Absolutely. Hasn't it? Is that Absolutely. what you're experiencing? So you walk into a shop and somebody greets you and makes you feel welcome and asks you if you're okay and is there anything you can help with today? It's exactly the same experience as when you might have a conversation with a recruiter for the first time. Mm. How does that person make you feel? Do they make you uh, want to come and work for that brand? Is it going to create the environment and the conditions where you're going to do meaningful work? And it's exactly the same as buying an item of clothing. Mm. Um, you know, one of the, one of the things you picked up there as well is the um, you know the the bedroom is the new changing room. Mm. So people will order um, huge amounts of clothes, um, maybe keep you know two or three uh, pieces of that of, of that clothing. And then take the rest back. Now that will either be done through um, online means or it will be done back in a store. So what, what we've found is that stores are actually, you know, changing the way in which they serve the customer mm. in that rather than, you know, selling clothes, they actually, you know, get more returns than they actually sell. So that's just one example of a challenge that we've got to deal with as a business to make sure that we've got the right resource, uh, the right skills uh, and the right customer experience to make sure that we are, um, you know, continuing to do our best on the high street, but also through digital channels, because, you know, we've, we've essentially got, um, you know, and there's no secret, River Island has been on a massive journey over the last few years in, in investing heavily in, in technology infrastructure, um, you know, in, in using web services through the website and the app. Um, and, and changing the way in which customers can interact and, and, and buy with us, whether that's through personalization, um, whether it's through um, that bricks and mortar experience mm. or whether it is through a seamless and frictionless experience when they might click or collect or, or return. So everything is, 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 is underled by technology. Now, you know, for a, for a people department, for a people experience perspective, technology is a factor. But it's still around how you how you make people feel and how you make someone feel when they either join the join the business, they go through an onboarding process, an induction, how they are made to feel welcomed by their line manager, the support, the development they get, the feedback that they get, um, the conditions that are created to allow them to do their best work. Um, so there's a huge cultural um, you know position that you've got to take to enable these people to, to to do their best work and to stay with the business. Likewise, it's exactly the same conditions and environments you've got to create in the customer channel to make sure that those customers keep coming back and, and, and get a good service. I love that phrase there, the bedroom is the new changing room. It's what? not mine. You've got... <laughs> <laughs> but but, but it's, it, it helps us to understand new, new, new norms uh, from a consumer's perspective. Yeah. And when, when a phrase works so well, you, you recognise that in your own mind. But, but just as importantly, we have to look at the employee experience or the yes. people experience in a similar way to understand that whilst the bedroom might be the new changing room there, what are we seeing or not seeing yet that will drive the way that we um, that we do learning and development? Now, I know that you're big on people experience, learning experience, user experience, perhaps not so big on new buzzwords and phrases. Which, so. which all those are. <laughs> <laughs> um, but what do, what do all these mean for you and the work that you're doing at River Island? Um. So first and foremost, I, I had a bet with my friend as to how much sort of, you know, business bollocks I can get into this podcast <laughs> because I'm, I'm, a, I'm a lover of abbreviations. Mm. I, I have them on my LinkedIn profile, but there's a little bit of tongue in cheek in that as well. Mm. Um, so listen, everything's an experience. LX, UX, PX, XX, whatever you want to call it, XXX, if you want to go that far. <laughs> um, but genuinely, what it is about, for me personally, is about thinking and connecting and understanding who your customer is. Mm. Now, I've got into debates and, and arguments over people in learning and development saying, we should not think of our employees as customers. Mm. And I challenge that and say, okay, so 
they may not be customers as a they're going to buy a product off us, but we need to take the the mindset, the methodologies, and the approaches that um, that we are serving these people to provide a service. Mm. Okay, and that service for us is making and creating the best experiences of working with an organisation. And I've already said, you know, we, we've broken that down into attraction, into recruitment. What does that look like? Uh, what are the channels that we use? Uh, what's the employee brand? Because when you add employee brand and uh, people experience, you get the overall brand experience, and that's mm. what you're judged on. You know, so you mentioned earlier that you know your your um, your experiences are measured by your last experience. That's mm -hmm. exactly the same for an organisation. Um, you know, a lot of our a lot of my colleagues, a lot of our co colleagues are are also customers of River Island. You know, we are um, we we buy the product as well. So just as we have a, a good experience working for River Island, we want good experiences buying products. Yeah. Uh, and it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a um, I think it's a massive gap that a lot of teams, a lot of organisations aren't putting two and two together and going, we need to emulate and exceed in terms of the people experiences that we provide. We break, we well, we, we do everything in our power to make sure that our customer experiences are great. Why can't we take the same approaches as customer experience and apply them to a people environment and the channels and processes um, that we use uh, for our people? And that's an advancement for learning, learning and development since I've, entered the profession in the 1990s we had a suite of programs and a suite of content and we were looking at ways to glue those together to make a coherent learning journey so it's almost so you'd start with the product and the programs and then you glue that together i think that now you might call that scaffolding learning it's taking the offering and you're putting that together to help to sell it to customer yep. to to people there yep. but what you're talking about as i understand it and please correct me is starting with them they're already they already have an experience that people experience is what um attracted them to the brand as a consumer perhaps what attracted them that to them as a brand uh to be an employee their candidate experience and then their work experience for which learning and development will be invited in by them a lot of the time or by the managers for specific reasons so the the experience is already there for which we have to make sense of what we offer in their world am i anywhere near yeah, yeah what you're talking yeah, about yeah, absolutely um you know i think it's it's so important and, and to, what we're talking about here is not groundbreaking yeah. it's not rocket science it is understanding the basics of who you who you work with who you serve who you mm. can provide a service to and ultimately, how you enable them to do their best work—that that that for me is what we're here to do, um, to help you know the business perform, for the business to stay relevant, innovative, forward-thinking, to keep you know the forefront of our industry. Because if you stagnate, you know, with your own skills, let alone with a product or a, or a service, you will disappear very quickly. There's hundreds of examples where you know you've got organisations that just haven't been able to either um, scan the horizon over new technology developments or whether it's a, a, a new challenge in the market and I'll give you an example of that so um, so there are a lot of online retailers now fashion retailers so mm. boohoo misguided pretty little thing um, but there's also a new one called uh, girl meets dress so um, Airbnb shared economy now um, which is people obviously you know letting their houses out for mm. weekends or weeks etc um, so somebody took the um, the decision that they were going to buy really expensive dresses um, and then rent them out to people that can't afford the dress but could afford maybe £150, £200 for a nightly rental. Mm. Um, I think they're the only fashion retailer who are actually opening shops 
in, uh, in in London at the moment because now people are coming in to try the dresses on. But I think that's it's a great innovation. Yeah, you know, so it's looking at a, a, looking at an industry, looking at a business model, and going actually, can I create revenue and a business around people who will be willing to rent dresses that they wouldn't be able to afford? Um, and f from our perspective, you know, we are we are balancing that that in store experience, that digital experience, that app experience. But ultimately, if you buy online. Who questions here? Who do you um, who do you um, sort of rate in terms of online delivery experiences? Who's up there? Who would you say do it well? So I would say Amazon for the speed of it, um, but I I think you have to turn a blind eye to unethical practice in order <laughs> in order to it to accept that. Um, I'd say that they were yeah do you know and. I would yeah, I'll stick with Amazon there because of the speed in which you can collect it, and also the deals I think that they've done to drop your parcel back off at a local shop in order for it to be collected, and you don't have to pay for uh, for the return. I'd say yeah. that that would be the 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 premium example. Yeah, and and they've taken again, so so absolutely. So mm. Amazon are the um, you know the best of the best in terms of the experience, but also the experience, your expectation now. Yeah. So you judge every purchase online. Through your Amazon purchases, that's right. And if they if they make you pay five ninety nine for delivery, or three ninety nine for delivery, or two ninety nine for delivery, and it takes five to seven days, so I'm I'm prime out and out. So I I pay a monthly subscription. So that's mm -hmm. another business model they've cracked, which is a subscription model and you know revenue generation every month. Um, and I get my packages then the next day. And <laughs> strangely, that makes me feel good. Um, <laughs> and I had I had a, a real debate with a with a with a. Um, a chap, Sid Calderman, actually, was on our podcast a, a few months ago, and he was just like, he just didn't understand why do you have to have something tomorrow? Mm. Why can't you wait a week? Why can't you wait three or four days for it? And I think the um, the lives that we live now are just, it's all about instant gratification. It's all mm. about, I want it and I want it now, or I want it five minutes ago. And I think that's now coming through in the way that we uh, interact with companies, the way that we buy products and services. And I think it's a trend that's not going to go away. So everything that we do, we have to match it with the best experience out there and constantly compare ourselves to what the competition is doing. Because if you lose sight of that, your customers are getting a very different experience elsewhere. And if they prefer that, they will go there. You know, sadly, loyalty. Um, with organisations and brands is not what it used to be. And I think mm. now people will go where they think they get the best deal and the best service. I think there's so much within there, uh, Mike. And uh, with the sitting on the Amazon example for a moment, the expectation has changed because they've almost redefined shopping and they've redefined it because you don't go shopping now. What you do is you plug a gap that you have in the stuff that you own or the things that you want to do. An example is I... Uh, recognized a bit of a draft in my double glazing um, this morning. And I went on Amazon to buy the the uh, the sealant that I'm going to use. Now, that's a job that I'm going to do at the weekend. And because I can rely on that being delivered tomorrow, that is... That you can plan around it. I can plan around that. But what what another, other retailers don't accept, and now this is where we go on to L&D as well, is that the redefinition of that experience means that it's no longer shopping. And in the same way as it's no longer learning for, for, for employees at work. It is simply being able to do the things that you are tasked with, whether that be unfamiliar situations or challenges that you face in the moment. And now you're able to, 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 to plug a gap in your know-how or your capability Google and YouTube have given you instant access to that information in your life and yep. set a new expectation for you. So why on earth should I wait for nine months before I can attend that course? 
well, why why don't we just make Google and YouTube the default web pages on your intranet? Or you know, why do we need learning management systems? Why do we need vast const uh, vast uh, libraries of of content on a range of different subjects? That's not how people learn in the real world. It's not how people assimilate information. It's not how we you know, develop our digital capabilities ourselves to find information at points of need. Mm-hmm. So there's a massive gap between the, the the real world and customers, consumers, and their buying and their, 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 their trends and how they access and assimilate. That sounds a bit like the Borg. Or how they <laughs> access information. And then we come into the workplace and all of a sudden it's completely different. Mm. You've got to book on a workshop. You've got to um, log on to the LMS to find some um, e-learning, which... You know, I know there's some good e-learning out there, and I'm not I'm not going to bash e-learning, but there is some also some dreadful e-learning out mm-hmm. there um, that has done more harm to our industry, I think, than than good. Um, but but you know, like like any industry, there are um, people who are you know talking about interesting things, challenging the norms, the status quo, uh, and can back that up with with evidence. You know, I know you've had enough people, you know, a few people on your podcast already that have. You know, being able to bring real life examples of good work that they're doing, mm. um, and then you also get the awarding bodies or the, the the think tanks. You know, giving us theories, giving us models, giving us um, wireframes, white papers that tell us what we should be doing. But I think we need more stories out there of the the people that are doing it and are doing it well and can share that warts and all, mm. because this stuff is hard. You know, this yeah. is this isn't stuff that you do overnight. You don't click your fingers and change the culture of an organisation either around learning or communication or um, culture, you know, ultimately culture is the end goal and everything that you do in the mix and the ingredients, the the end product, the cake as it were, is, mm. you know, the taste. You know, what is it? What is it? Quite a good analogy, actually. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll use that. Well, have you, the smell of the place is another good analogy. When you walk mm. into an organisation, you get a sense of the culture through the smell. Yeah. And it's not a physical smell, but it is. It's how people talk to one another. It's how people interact with each other and say hello to one another. It's how they may connect on an intranet, or it's how they speak to their manager and how the manager speaks to them. It's about how communications are sent. You know, all these little things add up to, you know, the culture of an organisation. Mm. And L&D has an absolute learning, has an absolute part to play in that. But whether or not we call it learning, you know, learning is a summation of everything, uh, in, in my view. So mm. it's, you know, there's so many different ways in which we can support people getting access to the information that they need at the time they need it, feeling connected with the, with the organisation, feeling like they've got meaningful work, mm. making sure they feel like they're, they're, they're developing um, sorry, I'm on a bit of a rant now. No. But the um, one one of the things around community development and community building that I've learned over the years is something called self determination theory. Mm. Focuses on three things: competency, autonomy, and motivation. And there's a massive debate all the time around learner motivation. Why don't people come to my learning courses? Why don't people, you know? And there seems to be this great apathy around people not wanting to learn. Absolutely challenge that. Yeah. People do want to learn, but they will only learn when they have autonomy to do so when they can link it to developing their competence and expertise, and that links then to them being motivated to actually go out and find it themselves. Mm. People that are just put on courses for courses' sake, there's no motivation for them to learn. There's no accountability. There's no line manager involvement to help them embed it later. Um, So we're in this sort of weird place where we've got some really good stuff happening, and then we've got some, in my opinion, quite poor practice still being held up as, as the way that learning and development is done. And, you know, I think the more conversations that we have and the more examples and case studies that can be shared around just different ways and, and means of doing things mm. can only serve the profession better yeah i, I mean your rant is valid uh, clearly <laughs> um you know i could pick up on a couple of points there i'm i'm completely with you i've been a firm believer for a long time and having spent 15 years in house in four um in four different learning and development functions 
I know that learning and development happens inside organizations. Now, there's a huge market that serves those organizations that seeks to dictate the technologies and approaches and anything else that might be used. But as, as you stated there, that until, until it lands in an organization, you know absolutely nothing about it. And different organizations will respond in different ways. Yeah. And usually it's down to the culture. Now, a lot of what learning and development offers, if the certainly if the, the, the learning programs are delivered from an external partner or there's generic e-learning, it might focus on some technical elements or isolated skills. But anything around how that lands within the organization, when you bump up against the cultural nuances, the, the implicit and explicit um, norms and expectations, that's the stuff that people struggle with. I mean, I've, I've known of, uh, of very smart people entering organizations that I've worked in who've almost been expelled from the organization because they didn't do things the right way. Nothing to do with their technical expertise at all. You can go on the training courses and you can learn about the technical elements but how do you get the right things done in your organization? And are L&D really addressing those things when they're required? Going back to your self-determination, I'm a big believer of if you can guide and support people when they actually need the help, so when they're facing unfamiliar situations and challenges for the very first time, then guide and support them towards confident and competent doing, then you'll have their attention. But when you programize everything, yeah, totally. then and you say to people that you can only attend over a certain period of time, and well, you've, we've only got a thousand pound per head, or four hundred. Got to stick pounds, to the curriculum. Got to stick to the curriculum, and all of that stuff. Then what you do is you create rules and barriers for people wanting to engage, and then what we offer as learning and development is a blocker to actual performance. There you go. There's a, right, a rant right back at you. Listen, shut <laughs> that soul box back over here. Um, no, listen, in all seriousness, bang on the money, 100%. Mm. I totally believe that. Um, but I also think that, you know, the way and means in which learning and development serve an organisation, we will be better served in, in listening more. And again, mm. it's not rocket science. You know, I hear a lot about performance consulting and, you know, moving from order takers to being, you know, consulting more with the business. Big believer in that. Mm. You know, I think that helps us establish credibility, hope it uh, develops trust. Um, but again, you've got to follow that through with something meaningful. Um, and it's the old cliche of the hammer and the nail. If as L&D professionals, we don't have a suite of tools and solutions that we can mix and match depending on what the need is, mm. and we don't have strong enough relationships within, I'm going to say the business, but we are the business, yeah. strong enough relationships with our colleagues to be able to follow that through. We truly understand what the problem is, and then work collaboratively with them, not dictating to them, you know, working in an iterative style, whether you want to call it agile or whatever, you know, but continually working with the end customer and creating MVPs, you know, getting feedback, designing again, you know, getting more feedback, designing mm. again, changing things, not being afraid to change things, but ultimately tracking that as well with some proper metrics. I'm not mm. talking about level one evaluation and all that crap. I'm talking about real hard business metrics that we should be able to uh, attribute to the things that we are doing in some way, shape or form. And we can only do that through having credible relationships with, the, with, the, with our colleagues, uh, being trusted um, and, and working with them to demonstrate what's working and what's not. And sometimes putting your hand up and going, actually, no, this isn't right, but let's change it. Mm. And it's having that continuous improvement mindset that I think is absolutely critical. Um, there's too much sort of pointing and, and, and blaming, not, not, you know, not speaking in my own organization, although mm. there, there may be a bit of that from time to time. We are human beings at the end of the day. Mm. Um, but I think, you know, there's a lot of that. There's a lot of push and pull. And that, that's why I think what we've done with our people team 
is looking at people experience just like the customer journey that we've got in our stores and on, on our digital platforms we've now uh, brought the teams that have the biggest impact to our people so that is um, recruitment learning development and reward um, with internal comms and, and culture and well-being in there as well so we're not separate teams we're one big team we are ultimately accountable for that customer experience that that people experience so there's no sort of well they didn't do that we didn't mm. do this we are one team we're all working towards the same thing which is getting the right people keeping the right people and developing the right people so they can continue to help river island be successful and when you break down those silos within our own team and those silos exist just imagine the silos that are out there in mm. in, in different organizations where learning and development is still sat in its ivory tower or away from the business and we are still doing and touting and using the same methodology uh, that we've that we've used for many many years so if we look then at, uh, at, at learning and development, how, how it's evolved and perhaps how we can be solving the real problems within our businesses, whether that's River Island, whether that's whether, uh, that the, the organisations that our listener may be working in, data is playing more and more of a role in that. And I know that, that at the recent CIPD's Future of Work conference uh, earlier in the year, you actually ran a session on data-driven learning. What does this mean for you and how are you doing this at River Island? So can I flip that just for one minute? Sure. So when you when you read that title, what does that mean to you? So uh, data driven means understanding critical points of failure in your business by reading business information, uh, people analytics, um, the the stuff that matters to the business as raw data and then seeking the, I always like to, to add evidence onto that, yeah, yeah, you yeah. know, to validate what the actual experience is from the end user um, within the, the context of, of what they're trying to do. So so raw, raw data, in essence, should give you business information or performance information. That's my understanding. Yeah, yeah I can't fault that, to be honest. And, and, for, <laughs> and for the listeners, he's not got a dictionary that he's just read the definition of uh, data-driven <laughs> learning. Um, so there's, there's two things. So yeah, when I, when, I, when I put the session together, it... I had quite a few conversations with people saying, so this is data that's informing your learning design. Mm. Whereas actually when it started off, at, it was more about data informing my own learning. Mm -hmm. So my own approaches to um, how I can build stories through data, how I can um, provide a narrative to why things are certain, why things might be happening. Um, you know, example of that could be that, you know, we get in um, feedback from our stores that they can't access a video. Okay. So I can use data and analytics to be able to see what browser uh, the users are are using and what mobile device or what 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 technology they're using and through that we were able to establish that actually where the issues were happening was through an old browser mm -hmm. so we can then work with it we can uh, when we work the fix get a new browser pushed out um so you know there's lots of different ways in in, in using data um but data for me has definitely helped me tell stories and again come with credible points rather than hearsay or assumptions mm. or this is what i think there is an absolute drive towards evidence-based practice and being able to back up what our recommendations are through evidence and data. And that could be anecdotal uh, or it could be hard facts, you know, quantitative stuff. Mm -hmm. um, I'm a big believer in, in Google Analytics. I've been using that since my DPG days, uh, maybe five, six years ago. Um, you know, and a lot of the um, the skills around um, marketing and, and, and content marketing um, you know, have really helped me 
you know, use data effectively because, again, through your learning management system, it's not necessarily about what course people are going on, but it's also about what resources are people using, mm. average time spent on page, click-through rates, what time of day are they are, are they accessing it? Because very slowly you can start to build up a story about, well, what does a day in life of your, your colleague look like? When do they access certain systems? Um, so that's that's been really helpful in helping inform when we do other things. Mm. But I think a, a good example of one that we've 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 used um, was around e-receipts. So we created a campaign around um, you know helping people ask people for their email so we could send out an e-receipt. You know we were using something like three elephants worth of till rolls a year, um, and we use that as part of the campaign to hook people in. You know don't be an elephant or don't forget to offer your um, your e-receipt. But off the back of the e-receipt, our customer feedback went sky high as well because we were capturing people's email addresses more effectively. Mm. Uh, we were able to keep in touch with people and then people were more, um, you know, they, they were happier to give us their feedback on their customer experience, their, their shopping experience. Um, so again, through, uh, through data, we were able to establish, you know, which stores were doing it well, um, which stores weren't doing it well, um, the cost saving, um, and then we can work with you know, our, our retail colleagues to keep that feedback loop going. Because I think if um, what, what tends to happen sometimes, and I've done, I'm guilty of this myself, is you do a one one hit and then you stop. Mm. And yeah, it changes for a little bit of time, but then it goes back into the old way and default measure of this is the way we've always done it. So I think data allows you to keep telling that story and keep um, supporting the change with evidence um, and actually calling people to account at times because a lot of people say, oh, well, you know, we don't know how to do it or we are doing it. Mm. Well, actually, the data says differently. So we need to understand what, what, what that breakdown is. So, yeah, data is a fascinating area. I think it's a, a, a real growth area in learning development, but also in, in terms of how businesses are using data. Mm. Um, you know, whether that is through uh, customer feedback, whether it's through dashboards, whether it's through uh, process innovation, looking at, you know, time spent, lean methodology, uh, Six Sigma, all that, all that sort of stuff, um, and then also looking at you know the the time it takes you to um, to deliver things, um, moving from either you know like a waterfall type project management approach to a more agile approach. You know you can start to quantify and build you know timescales and data and start doing comparisons, mm. and then I think that's when things start getting interesting when you start to compare stuff. Um, so yeah, fascinating subject. Yeah. I've probably just waffled a little bit there on data, but nope. it's, uh, it's we need more people telling stories around how data is helping them. I think that's really important. I love I love that, that uh, talking about stories in relation mm. to data. I had uh, Kevin M Yates on the podcast recently, and he, he mentioned the same thing. Right. That uh, in, in response to my question on if if we're speaking to L and D people who might be fearful of the numbers, what is it that we can be doing? But he talked about stories and how. Um, how he can relate people's experiences, what you learn from from the data into those stories, which I think is a lot less scary and a lot more aspirational. But data, of course, is a foundation of digital from which the approaches and tech are built. Now, your example of an L&D professional who embraces many different elements of digital from being prolific on social media, as you mentioned there, an advocate of agile and even a podcast host yourself. How has your own digital interests and experimentation helped you in your L&D? Um, okay, so the analogy that I'd use is um, being being taught to drive by somebody who's never driven a car. Mm. If you are not um, if you are not using the tools, if you're not experiencing the tools, if you don't know how the tools work, where they work well, where they don't work well, then it is just a bit of tech. Mm. 
it's always going to be a bit of tech and we're always going to suffer from the shiny magpie syndrome which is oh i like the look of that i'm going to go and play with that oh actually i like that even better um whereas for me it's about deep diving mm. so by deep dive i mean get in the nuts and bolts of what it is whether it's virtual classroom technology whether it's how to use a microphone whether it's learning software like audacity or camtasia or premiere pro whether it is um, you know, being part of communities and networks, whether that's through LinkedIn, whether it's through Twitter, whether it's face-to-face -face networking events, experience all these things that can help other people um, and ultimately help your own development as well. Because if we're not proponents of this, if we're not enthusiastic about it, then don't expect anybody else to be enthusiastic about it either. Mm. So again, we're pulling in credibility, trust, people understanding and respecting your opinion, but that opinion's got to be based on on facts and experience. And I think then you're not always going to get it right. You're not going to make the, the right recommendation all the time. You're not going to make suggestions that will fall on, on welcoming ears. But if you can talk with uh, authenticity, if you can talk with you know, real-world knowledge of these, of these technologies and tools and not talk about the tech, but talk about the value, mm -hmm. so what does the tech enable us to do? That's when we start changing the hearts and minds and that's when we start getting um, traction and people will start to almost follow you it's, it's learned behavior david mm. you know if people will learn from what they see we've done this since we were children with our parents it's exactly the same in the workplace exactly the same in learning development you know the industry needs role models it needs mm. people that you know i've i've learned from you i've learned from jane hart i've learned from julie wedgwood i have uh, bastardized and stolen ideas always giving credit mm -hmm. um but I've, I've i've changed models and theories and diagrams to to work for me uh through my experiences they could be challenged as being right or wrong, but they've worked for me. And then, you know, I think a lot of people, you know, talk about paying it forward, which is, you know, share what you know. And I'm a big believer in, you know, you are what you share. Mm. Um, I go up and down with my social media use. I, I blogged a lot a few years ago, but less so now. I probably should dust the old keyboard off. Um, but I don't, does that resonate with you? I mean, you, you, you know, somebody who, you know, obviously, you know, you're a big believer in technology, mm. but do you lead with the tech? So I I love the experimentation. Mm. Uh, the podcast here was an experiment that that I've not just enjoyed, but it seems to to be making a bit of a difference. Uh, but I've I've learned this part. I think this has helped. Um, I whilst dipping my toe into social media for a few years, um, I felt comfortable enough then to seek some expertise on how i can use that more to my benefit which i've tried and it used you know it used to it helped to a great degree with what i'm trying to achieve so yeah i'm a big believer in experimentation but as you've just mentioned there it's not leading with tech then i i haven't increased my kit bag to offer to potential clients i now in my conversations and explorations around value have more in my skill set to offer as potential experiments than than I had before, but uh, again, referring to a previous podcast, I uh, Clive Shepherd who summarised one element and said that um, anybody who isn't investing in their own digital capabilities as a professional isn't a professional. And you know, you're thinking, well, I mean, that's a it's a bold statement, but in the world we live in today, is it professional to not? invest in yourself i mean that's a, a question back to you yeah absolutely not um you know we, we live in an increasingly digital world so for somebody who again it comes down to you know self-determination theory mm. you know where, where's the motivation for me to understand and improve and increase my digital confidence and mm. digital capability 
Um, so on an individual basis, I think, yeah, we've, we've all got to do a bit of a you know, skills analysis, a skills mm. gap analysis, whatever you want to call it, and say, where, where do I need to strengthen? Where do I need to develop expertise? And then who can I learn from? Mm. But there's also um, digital maturity in organizations. Uh, and what I mean by that is, you know, how, how, how are people using the tools and technologies that are at their disposal? Do they view them with fear? Mm. Um, you know, sort of witchcraft. What is this virtual classroom that you're talking about? Or what is this social intranet that you're talking about? Um, but very slowly and surely, it's about demonstrating value. It's about role modeling the right behaviors. It's about encouragement. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of the breakthroughs that I've had with, with, with technology is one-to-one -one coaching. Um, actually sitting next to somebody and talking them through what to do and how to mm. do it. And then they will become, you know, it's the old um, first follower where the guy's always dancing in the field and, you know, then all of a sudden he's, he's created this movement and this party. It's exactly the same for, for, yeah. for, for tech, in my opinion, especially around social and community tools. Uh, but I think, I think, you know, it, it resonates with most tech uh, implementations is that you've got to, um, you know, start small, continue to build, pilot, experiment, fail, learn from your failures, start again, bring people on that journey with you, tell success stories. Um, you know, and we, we briefly spoke offline around the, um, the Gartner hype cycle, which has mm. been around for ages. But if you think about in introducing any technology into your organisation, which is a technology trigger, and you think, oh my God, this is going to change the world, back to the peak of inflated expectations. Mm. And then very soon you'll go, actually, it's not change the world. Everybody's carrying on just the way they have done and you're in the trough of disillusionment. Mm. And then all of a sudden you regroup and you're up this slope of enlightenment. And I, I think L&D is, is still on that slope of enlightenment. Uh, very obvious, talking very general there, yeah. but you know, we've got to get our hiking boots on and we've got to start, you know, getting cracking up that hill until we, we're there, at, you know, just the way that we've always done things. Mm. And then we start again, whatever's next. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a fascinating sort of subject because I think there's a lot of human psychology in there. There's mm. the group think mentality. Again, it's down to culture in an organization. How do people respond to a stimulus, a change, a trigger? How do they, um, how do they accept that? Or do they actually know we don't want that and we'll make it very clear that we don't want that? And have we played the role that we should have? Yeah. Have we been a product implementer or have we been a leader? And there are very, very different roles. A leader creates a vision of a world that is different based on the value that something offers to people yeah. and a product implementer slaps a, um, a a piece of technology into the hands of users and tells them that things will be better it's you know they're, they're, they're very very different roles um mike coming back to you you've made some interesting moves in your l d career from in-house to vendor side as you mentioned with dpg and then back again how has each experience helped you to be successful in the next um, well, I don't think it's, it's, you know, personal to me. I think everybody's exactly the same. Every, every, every job that we have helps carve experiences, good, bad, good, bad, indifferent. Uh, but what I've tried to do throughout my career is, is, is keep it, keep it fresh. Mm. Um, so every two years sort of, you know, make sure that I am continuing to, to do work that I enjoy, that's meaningful work for me, that is adding value in the organization for the team that I'm working in and providing that's there then the, 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 the desire to continue working there is there. But if mm. that shifts, then, um, so for RBS, for example, so financial services industry, I was part of the insurance division. I was there for 10 years. I was there when RBS um, crashed. Mm -hmm. You know, obviously that was the, quite a challenging time. We lost 90% of our HR team. Um, and that was, I, I left then to, to go and join DPG, mm. um, obviously a, a training um, provider. Um, so, I had some. I had a great mentor at RBS, and I think that's a that's that's a real um, sort of thing that has differentiated perhaps um, where I've spotted at 
opportunities is getting a good mentor and getting mm. a good coach uh, and actively seeking that and not being afraid to ask for that. I don't think people um, generally, you know, get, get that sort of support early on in the career. Mm. But even, you know, even now, you know, a hardened 40 year old, you know, I still look for people that I can continue to learn from either in a mental capacity or coaching. Um, so yeah, the financial industry was, was really interesting insurance of contact center. So mm. that was very much around, right. You've got seven minutes for learning. You've got a 15 minute break. Then you, you're, you're off the phones for, 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 for two hours. You know, everything was scrutinized. Everything was about call volumes, call waiting times. So that was my introduction to learning development, which was very heavily course driven. Mm. Nobody had any time for informal learning or social learning or collaborative learning or any type of learning, just doing the job. Um, and then I think the interesting thing, when I joined um, DPG, um, so they are obviously a C CIPD train provider. Um, and, you know, we, we had that vision of um, creating something that, that, that no other training provider had at the time, which was an open community based on human resources professionals, learning professionals, and people in leadership positions who could come together and rather than just come on one course, could actually socialize and share information with people on another course mm. and right at the start of this conversation we talked about that that people experience where sometimes you you get an offer with an organization then you don't hear anything for three four five six seven weeks and it's the same when you might buy a product or service from a company you buy something and then all of a sudden there's this huge gap so what we what, we, what our vision was is anybody who, who who purchased a cipd training program for dpg would be invited to this community this warm welcoming friendly community full of other professionals who would, you know, start their learning journey, for want of a better term, right there and then. Mm. And that just grew and grew. And at the end, we we, we still got over 6,000 members and, and still a, vi a vibrant uh, community. Um, so that, that taught me a lot around, you know, changing um, existing traditional ways of doing things. Mm. And there was quite a lot of resistance to it um, to begin with. Uh, but then people started to see the value and how it actually supported learners and gave them a better, more rounded experience um, than just learning in the classroom. Um, and I was around a lot of white papers, mm -hmm. a lot of thinking from the CIPD around what people should be doing. And I felt as I'd become a little bit of a, oh, well, you should be doing this. Mm. And, oh, you should be doing this. Oh, you should be doing that as well. And did you know that the, the good organisations are doing this? And I just got itchy feet. The, the DPG gang are fantastic, um, uh, but I wanted to get back in house, and I wanted to, I wanted to do stuff again. I wanted to deliver stuff again. I wanted to feel that 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 buzz and excitement of actually being able to, you know, contribute to real business change. And um, a good friend of mine, Nabel Crowhurst, actually studied with DPG, and she was at River Island. So we had a chat, and an opportunity arose, uh, and I jumped at it. So two years in December it will be, um, and we've just delivered. Um, a, a brand new intranet, mm -hmm. um, which is which is great news. Um, so again, we're on that slope of enlightenment again in, in, in trying to, you know, get people onto to using this tool because our old intranet wasn't particularly great. So mm. everyone hates the intranet. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, just very quickly, so it is about challenging yourself, taking your opportunities, learning from other people. Mm. I think though those are things that I've taken from my career, and don't be afraid to. Um, you know, to make a jump, be brave. Mm. You know, it might not always work, but if you don't try, then you don't know. So I think that's that's what I've learned over my career to date, and something that I'll probably continue to 
fly the flag for wonderful well i think that's a that's a, a wonderful point in which to uh, to wrap up the conversation mike um as i mentioned you're fairly active on social media so if people wish to follow you or connect how can they do so uh, so twitter and linkedin is probably the easiest one so i am at uh, community underscore mike and then mike collins on linkedin uh, and lazy mc on instagram because i'm so down with the kids um <laughs> and if you want to check out our podcast as well if you don't mind me doing a little plug so no. it's a it's a lancashire based podcast called the lancashire hot pod and it's www.thelancashirehotpod.com and as a subscriber i recommend that wholeheartedly mike thank you for being a guest on Cheers, the learning David. development podcast yeah loved it thank you it's one thing to understand these topics as emerging trends but quite another to explore how they're landing in organizations absolutely fascinating if you're enjoying the podcast, please give us a rating on your podcast app of choice. And if you'd like to get in touch with me, perhaps to suggest topics you'd like to hear discussed, you can tweet me at David in Learning, connect on LinkedIn or Facebook, for which you'll find the links in the show notes. Goodbye for now. <laughs>